Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran, and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia, and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It is a beautiful Monday morning here in Perth. And we're a little bit on the cooler side, thank goodness, because we have broken all sorts of records over here in the West. Uh, I think we're at 14 days uh, over 40 degrees this summer. And the previous record, um, maybe in Australia, I think was Adelaide at seven days. So Perth is definitely the hottest place in Australia at the moment, albeit we are looking to 23 today. In fact, looking around the, the country, um, temperatures are relatively mild. I think that um, Adelaide is up there at about 34 degrees today, but everywhere else um, we seem to have cooled down and in some places we've been cool for a little while. So it's a really important thing. And the reason I always bring weather up is because it's such a defining factor when it comes to uh, the problems that we can experience in the garden. So when you are posting your questions, please tell us what state you're from and what town or city you're from because it does make a big difference. Now we've got a fantastic program for you today. In fact, it's one of the most exciting days because we'll be joined by the director of the West Australian Botanic Gardens and of course, our very, very good friend, Sue McDougall. And there is a very special kangaroo paw about to be launched and it is a sensational development. Now we did feature it about a year ago uh, when we did a bit of a visit to Kings Park and uh, it is now coming up to be available. This is a very, very special kangaroo paw because the colour is unlike one, anything that we've seen before. Now, if you're struggling at the moment with your lawn, don't worry, there's hope, and I've got some lawn saving tips a bit later on. At the moment, lawns, particularly in those hot, dry states, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth, have really struggled and we are seeing damage like we've not seen for a long period of time. So I'll... Uh, Give me a few little tips there. My good mate, David Van Berkel from Garden Express. He's joining us a bit later on. He's got some pretty impressive new flower additions to their range, but there's one in particular. It's a range of hydrangeas, and we'll talk about them a bit later on. It might sound a bit strange to be talking about hydrangeas, but the breeding in this area is amazing, and the direction that they've gone in and this collection, well, you're going to love them. I will, as part of my discussion with Sue, I'll share my plan of the week. It's this amazing kangaroo paw. We'll give you a little bit more information on when it's being released. And as always, the whole reason we're here is to answer your gardening questions. And there are prizes to be won. There are plenty of questions already flowing through, some real rippers. Remember, your goal has to be 
to try and puzzle me, get me off offhand, not able to answer your question. If you can achieve that, you've done very well because I'm informed this morning. Of course, if you like what we're doing with this show, please hit the like button and share it with your friends. And really what makes this work is the audience having more people following us. So we really appreciate your support. Um, okay, shall we get on to it? Uh, let's remember we're coming to you from all over the country. It's, it's Facebook, it's uh, a YouTube channel, and we'll start off in Brisbane, in Queensland. And Leanne Walker, she sent us a bit of a, a, a question last week and was describing a bonsai she was gifted at Christmas time. Now, she said the leaves continuously going lighter and lighter. I spray water every day. I've never had bonsai before and I'm not sure what to do. I keep it in the kitchen and move it from direct sunlight through the window mostly. Now, the big thing was that this bonsai is a gift from her two sons and she doesn't want to kill it. Now, having a look at the photo, Leanne, you need to do something urgently. This is a juniper. Now, junipers are a full sun plant. They need to be in bright light. The other thing is misting will not do them any good at all. The pot needs to be drenched. Bonsais this time of the year, if we're in hot, dry conditions over about 28, 29 degrees, have to be soaked once a day, and it's soaked into the root system. And because this plant's gone, well, pretty much dried out, that's what we're seeing, the chance to get it back is going to be pretty pretty narrow. So my suggestion is that you go and give it a quick clip, take some of that foliage off, reduce it back down in size, soak the root system first, and then mix up a watering can with some sea salt in it and drench the root system again. And it needs to be out in full sun. So whether it's whether you're in a small place and you're in a balcony or a courtyard, hopefully you've got a bit more of a garden, you can put it out into full sun. But the trick will be to do that and to keep watering it with a good at least, I would say, two cups per day, and there's a chance that it'll still bounce back. But uh, it, timing is everything at the moment, Leanne, so hopefully that helps you. Now, we are coming back over here to Perth, a very hot spot at times, um, Bullsbrook. And Melissa has asked a question. I've got some yuccas out the front um, that have flowered since I moved in. Now, according to the owners, they'd never flowered before. Over the last couple of months, the red yuccas have started to lose their leaves and bark but they still have their flower bloom. The green yuccas don't seem to be affected in the same way. I've been watering the grass uh, more due to the severe heat and um, I'm looking to try and avoid overwatering the yuccas. Well, I'm not sure you've got yuccas. My, my gut feel is that, um, is that you've actually got cordylines and I'm not 100% sure. I'd love to see some photographs, but when as soon as you said there were red yuccas, um, there's not really red yuccas. There are red cordylines. So I suspect that that's what it is. And if it's red cordylines and you're seeing your lawn start to deteriorate, it's highly likely that that's actually the same problem that your, your yuccas are suffering with. What I mean by that is it's a lack of water. So wetting agents, vitally important. Everybody in Australia right now should be going and applying some wetting agents to their lawns and their garden beds because... Um, I can tell you in my garden, which we put a huge amount of effort into making sure that it's always looking fabulous, um, there are dry patches everywhere and I am putting wetting agent out quite liberally at the moment and you need to be doing the same. Hopefully that helps, Melissa. Let's head to New South Wales. Luke and Anita sent us a photograph and I'm wondering if you can tell me what's going wrong with our petinias, the red robins. Now, let me just check this photograph because... Yeah, that is Red Robin. Um, they look like they're very dry. So I would suggest uh, Luke and Anita in New South Wales that that 
is a problem we're drying out. Looks like you're using mulch. Looks like it's sugarcane mulch by the the looks to me. But I'm going to suggest that you get some wetting agent onto those straight away because it looks to me like there's a problem with the the, the water source here and maybe getting the roots down into the the water down into the root system. Um, wouldn't hurt. The pH um, showing eight is indicating very alkaline, and that maybe that sugarcane mulch. It might be just the surface is very alkaline. Um, what I would do is I'd be working towards balancing your pH, bringing it down to 7, 6.5, somewhere in that range. Fatinias can lose the ability to take up iron and magnesium, those greening agents, when the pH is too alkaline. It's just not available to plants. It's a general comment. So that could be what it is. So balancing now a little bit of sulfate of iron uh, as a fertiliser over the top of the soil, scratch up maybe that sugarcane mulch, get it into the soil, soak it, wet it, Make sure there's wetting agents so the water is getting down, but they look more dry to me than they do um, like they're suffering from mineral nutrient deficiency. And the reason I say that is because they're not carrying a lot of foliage. So I suspect it's water, Luke, and Anita. And if ever there was a time in the year that you can have water problems, it's now. Mary's in Maruchador. Hello, Mary. Um, please help me with grasshoppers eating all of my garden. Interesting problem, uh, grasshoppers. They really can cause quite serious issues. There is a problem, a product. It's a very old-fashioned garden chemical. It's called carbaryl. Not very popular these days because it's a bit on the strong side. You have to be very, very careful how you use it. But, look, it had been used for decades and decades to control grasshoppers, um, and I suspect that that's what you could get. Now, there is a company called David Gray's. I don't know if they sell this bait on the East Coast, but there may be an alternative the same on the East Coast, and it's, it's cricket and grasshopper baits. And what it is, it's bran that's been soaked in carbaryl, and these guys, they will, they'll chew on it, uh, they'll go to it before they'll go to your plants, and it'll give you a chance to get control of it. If you've got grasshoppers, though, your neighbours have got it and your neighbours' neighbours have got it, so you're going to find that there's a constant movement of them coming around looking for, for food and for foliage. So... Give them a feed, try and treat them with the carbaryl, ideally the baits I would suggest you go for and that should be fine. did mention before, folks, please let us know where you're from. Rod, I'm not sure where you're from, Rod. Um, you've got a question about lawn armyworms. They're destroying mum's lawn. They've now moved into my veggies. Please help. Now, they can do damage in veggies, particularly on new seedlings and definitely in lawns. If you're in a humid environment, um, then it's highly likely you've got them. And one of the best treatments, um, well, there's a few treatments, to be quite honest, but it's soaking the ground. So do a check at night, just on dusk, soak the ground to the point where it's flooded. You'll see them come to the surface. Now, if you're seeing them come to the surface, it's definitely lawn armyworm or it could be African black beetle. But regardless, either one of them, they do the same thing. They're, they're noticed the same way and you'll need to treat them the same way. Now, bathroid is probably the best treatment. Um, it is, a, it is a, a soaking treatment you have to do to the soil and now's the time to do it. So uh, if you're seeing the damage, it's a chance to get on on top of it. Uh, Tyson from Victoria is a good friend of ours. G'day, Tyson. Can I put lettuce seeds into my garden bed? And also, can you please give me some tips and advice? All right, so lettuce seeds, interestingly enough, they love sandy soil. So if your, your garden bed soil is quite sandy, get your seeds in, sow them in lines, um, you've got to keep the moisture up. This time of the year it could get pretty hot and dry in Victoria. And if you have a series of days where the weather's very hot and dry, you've got newly germinated seeds 
and they're not getting enough water, and that can be watering up to twice a day by hand, um, then you're probably going to see them shrivel and dry. Best time is probably wait until March, mid to late, and then apply your lettuce seeds into the soil then. And I think you'll find it'll be a lot less water demand and a lot better result. Uh, Vinette is from Balladura over here in WA, and Vinette's brought up the David Gray's gra uh, Grasshopper and Cricket pellets. I think it's a bait that you recommended. But my young fruit trees are still being attracted by grasshoppers. Am I doing something wrong? No, look with fruit trees because if they're a little bit on the taller side, the baits are probably not going to do the job. So anything that's on the taller side, I'd probably suggest you go. There's a rich grow product. As I mentioned, I think it is called, I'm pretty sure it's called Bug Killer. And uh, you'll find it in your local garden centre or bunning store. And that is the spray to use to control them. Um, and you will need to spray. And it's got to be done over the foliage on fruit trees. Hopefully that helps Vinette. Um, all right, James is in Mahogany Creek. We are staying in WA at the moment. Remember, folks, we are from all over the country. So make sure we are going all over the country. So make sure you're sending in your your different uh, bits and pieces. James, um, you is it still recommended to pinch out the first bud on a zinnia plant? Love your new show, Delish on TV, which featured here in West Australia last night. For those of you around the country, if you love edible gardens and you love looking into people's lives, then it's a new series that we've launched. It, it did launch here in WA on Channel 9. It will play later on on 9 and 9 Life. But right now, if you're anywhere else in the country, you can watch it on 9now.com.au. Now, going back to your, uh, to your question, James, Absolutely. You pinch that first bud out, you're going to get multiple growth coming around the outside and really beautiful displays. If not, they tend to get a little bit on the leggy side and that's the reason why you do it. Thank you so much for your feedback on Delish too. Matia, I'm not sure where you're from, but there's a photo attached. My eggplant is not growing well. Okay, what should I do? Um, looking at that, your eggplant looks quite good to me, to be quite honest. Um, You've got a couple of bites out of the foliage, but nothing to worry about. And you've got fruit setting. You've also got flower buds forming. So these are all good things, but you might be expecting a bigger plant. And uh, of course, a bigger plant, the more fruit is able to produce. So right at this moment in time, giving it a good feed with a controlled release fertilizer is a great way to go. It looks like things are quite wet there. So you've got enough moisture. It's probably just a little bit more nutrient, but you're, you should find your eggplants will develop your, your fruit should develop into a really nice size as a consequence of that don't have too many problems i wouldn't worry about it too much mighty if i was you now last monday on uh, the live show matthew from melbourne sent in a question asking how to pollinate kangaroo paws to get them to go to sea or when they go to seed um, and from this i thought it'd be a great opportunity to head back to our, our great friend um, sue mcdougall who sue it's the garden guru's 20th anniversary this year can you believe it you were there right from the beginning. I know. I can't believe it, Trevor. Congratulations. 20 years is just an amazing, absolutely incredible fate. So mm, well done. It is. And, and in that period of time, we've, we've all been doing some pretty interesting things in our various careers outside of what we do with TV. You've been a huge part of the Garden Gurus. But now you've got this amazing role. Tell us about your role at Kings Park. Uh, so I just can't believe it. I always pinch myself. I've been here three months already, Trevor. So wow. I'm um, now, I know, time goes, doesn't it? So I'm yeah. Director of West Australian Botanic Gardens. So I have um, in my charge, well, to help support the team, virtually anything that's green. 
So virtually anything that's green in Kings Park, I think, for any of our interstate, well, West Australians, or actually all Australians, I think, Trevor, Kings Park holds a very special place in many people's lives and hearts and Mm. it's just incredible. We are so unique in WA to have, well, actually around the world, to have a botanic garden that is 400 hectares in the middle of the city, a huge amount of bushland and restoration and conservation and also unique habitat and threatened ecological communities as well as our 18-hectare botanic garden. So in the early 60s, so I think it was, um, yeah, it was late 1959, that there was this focus that West Australian Botanic Gardens was going to be focused on West Australian plants. And at that time, you can imagine how many West Australian plants weren't being grown in the mainstream. And so um, that was groundbreaking. And I think something that's so unique, we have just this showcase of so many West Australian species that are just all year round. It looks beautiful. I just feel so privileged to be part of it. We're in the southwest corner of WA. It's considered to be one of the world's, what, top four biodiversity hotspots. It's so many unique species. And, and those those botanic gardens have so many. What's the collection like? How many have you got there? Um, we've got thousands. We have a huge amount of species. So we're also... Our living collection, one of my one of my charters and the team is to look after the living collection. And so that's that's considered the seed, the plant breeding, what we're doing in the nursery. So we have collections yep. in the nursery, we have collections in the display garden. And so many of our species are rare and threatened. Some are yep. just of of so unique that there's only a few around. And you find that the 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 whole range of species, so we've divided our um, botanic garden into habitats and areas. So we've got the, um, the we'll say the Kimberley area and we've got conservation garden in our southwest. And so the regional, regional areas where those plants grow, that's how the botanic garden has been um, divided up basically, for want of a better word. And so if you you get a little snapshot of what's grown around the place and Western Australia is a biodiverse hotspot because so much of our community, our floral community is under threat from land yeah. cle- clearing, habitat destruction. And you find, well, what's how look what's happened this weekend, Trevor. Um, thousands of hectares of forest down south has been burnt. We've had 44 degrees in Albany on Saturday. Who would have believed crazy. that? Not yeah. crazy, isn't it? So we find that um, the Botanic Garden, West Australian Botanic Garden, has a huge role to play in helping conserve our species, actually educating people on what we can grow and what looks absolutely stunning. You know, there's something in flower all year round. It's Look, I think it's an incredible destination for any visitor to Western Australia. And certainly, you know, over the years I've been fortunate to travel the world and, and whether I've been in in New York at the New York Botanical Gardens in the Bronx or Kew Gardens or, or um, you know, Bouchard Gardens in Canada, another great, great, one of the world's great gardens. Every time you talk to uh, one of the botanists or horticulturalists that are looking after it there, they always go, oh, you are so lucky to come from Perth. One place I want to go to is Kings Park. It is a an international treasure and you are so fortunate and we're so proud of you to be taking the lead now with what is a great team of people and so you know for a long period of time it was about building the collection there but there's a huge amount of breeding work you alluded to it before and um 
uh, and I know we've been in and we've, we've done some stories there with your team. Um, tell us a little bit about the breeding program. The breeding program is actually very exciting. So we have, um, it, it's a lot of, a lot about taking species that um, we can conserve through cultivation, basically, Trevor. So we'll take species to increase their genetics for disease resistance and tolerance and also improved varieties because our unique genetic material in WA is something that nowhere else can own it in the world. We've got it in yep. WA. We need to really need to promote it. So one of the aims of the breeding program is to be able to breed new improved varieties that have got horticult broad horticultural appeal but also conservation status. And so they are going to be able to be used for display garden purposes. They are increasing education for what's happening around. We're going to be able to get our West Australian species so that they can be planted out broad scale projects. And so they do they do so well on many different levels. And yeah. so the breeding program that we're really excited about, we want to say I've, I've come in at the end, so I shouldn't take any credit at all because the team, Dinkby and his team's done an amazing, amazing job. We've got um, Camelosian breeding program and Anigazanthus scavola breeding program, you'll find that there's leptospernums happening for um, honey through another program. There's lots mm -hmm. of lots of improved genetics and there's so much to learn. And the, the most exciting thing about it, the science that happens from this and the, the techniques that are developed from the breeding program then can be transferred to any species and um, transferred when I say more broadly, to then help conserve some of our unique species that we have in WA. And um, that's something we can really be proud of of West Australians and also um, even as Australians because the international appeal for our floriculture, you know, I was reading a report that the Camelosium, one of the top seven varieties of Camelosium used for cut flowers in the world, Trevor, is still Purple Pride. Camelosium wow. purple pride. How old is that variety? Yeah, that I variety know. is older than you and me put together, I think. Right. So tried and proven. Exactly, tried and proven. So the new varieties, you can imagine how long it takes to get new varieties. And I would say purple pride would be at least 40 years old, definitely, wow. 50 even. So there's a lot more new varieties that then can be used for cut flower market that can also be used for the genetics that learn from that to be able to take some of these plants that there are only one or two in the wild back from back from extinction and back, yeah. back from being threatened. And, you know, with that breeding program, I know um, we, we did some great stories with Digby on um, the Chamelosiums a couple of years ago and uh, some of the stuff that's now being distributed internationally via Helix, I think, is the organisation. That's right. Um, yeah. that, that, you know, these are, you know, huge, some, sometimes huge individual flowers in the florets and then, other times doubles and the range of colours in the Chamelosiums is incredible. So, you know, when, when we could, when we could travel, I, I was probably one of the last trips that I did for the Explore program that we do. Uh, I was in Holland and, and I went to the markets in Olsmere and um, was looking around and one of the things that uh, it struck me many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, first time I'd ever been to Holland, was how the Dutch love kangaroo paws. And uh, they had this, this pretty little pink kangaroo paw that, you know, at the time I'm pretty sure uh, the, the company that I was um, visiting, the, the, the nursery, was an 80,000 square metre glass house facility and they were growing 
a, a pink little dwarf kangaroo paw at the time for distribution into the German market. I think their, their crop at the time was going to be something like 12 million plants, which for me was mind-blowing, you know, to think that you could grow one variety, 12 million of, not just that, but they were looking at them completely different to the way we look at them. We always look at kangaroo paws as something we go and stick outside in an outdoor environment. And here they were saying, no, this is a, a stunning um, flower. Let's bring it into the house. Let's treat it as an indoor flowering pot, pot plant. So the work that Digby and the team have done with kangaroo paws is quite remarkable. And you've got a really interesting new release coming up. So exciting. This new release, Trevor, has it's actually officially, officially being launched. Yeah, absolutely, Masquerade. Officially being launched on the 9th of March into Western Australian market. But mm. this blue is just so special. And when it just appeared, um, Dibby wasn't, wasn't expecting it, but it's just absolutely stunning. So Masquerade is so special. Do you know that the orders... Um, Digby was telling me these are being ordered 2025 I think the orders are the Ford orders are happening for it wow. so huge amount huge amount and the work I'm not surprised. some of the species that are coming through some of the some of the new varieties that are coming through on top of the back of masquerade is just absolutely incredible so this is the first time ever that we've seen a blue kangaroo and what it really does is put Western Australia on the market. It puts our, plant, our floral emblem, I know it's different, but our floral emblem really up where the best of them. And I must say also, Trevor, while we're talking kangaroo paws, one of the other plants that we can't forget, and I know every time I walk out to the breeding area and I see how beautiful it was, is just the range of grevilleas that Digby and his team are, are, are marketing at the moment as well. And they are fantastic landscape plants. So you talk about changing the perception of kangaroo paws to be a potted cut flower market that's yep. small and bring it in it's like a cyclamen don't you think yeah. it's, got, it's yeah. thinking got that appeal same thing with the grevilleas but to be able to put them into hardy floriferous you know, incredibly repeat repeat flowers and they are going going around the world at the moment too the amount of work that's going into those but just the demand for a changing climate really is showing us what we can plant in our gardens. Yeah, look, I think the, the research and the, obviously the, the work being done and breeding and developing, the, the blue, I, I was lucky enough to be in those glass houses with Digby and, you know, just to spend a, a few hours with him talking about, you know, where he started and where he's got to and what the future looks like is so exciting. But to get a blue kangaroo paw for a start, I know what's coming through the pipeline and I, it's going to blow <laughs> people's minds. It but, will. But, First step, you know, beginning of March, um, it's, a, it's a WA only release. WA release, actually. No, it's statewide, sorry, nationwide. So, yep. yeah, so some of them actually have been released and that depended on the release of the tube stock that was around. So right. in WA it is um, March and that's pretty exciting because it's something that I keep saying to Digby and um, his team, appreciate this moment because it's so special and yeah. um, it's it just doesn't happen all the time. So really appreciate it. Realise what you've done to create this and the amount of work that's gone into it and, the, you mm. know, who would have who would have guessed? You know, twenty years ago, Trev, when you started Garden Gurus, who would you have thought that there would be a we'd be sitting here twenty years ago talking about a blue kangaroo paw and Never. the advances in technology, even when we're talking about plant collections, how we can do science, and I am 
absolute believer in no matter what we do, how important research is um, for, unfortunately, I know through the last 20 years, the amount of research has been limited and the amount of effort that's gone into, I want to say want for people being able to do research probably has been lacking. But I think really when you get a passionate team for any research, it just makes a huge difference, whether that's medical research, ecological research, you know, yep. for the environment, what we're doing. And the most exciting thing, I think, we look at our we look at our climate, we know it's changing, we can see extremes in temperature and things, but but the amount of work, the rest is sure, the amount of work that's going into the, the passion for plants and plants that can cope with our you know, our drying and warming climate is pretty exciting. So the probably the future of gardening and floriculture, Trevor, is is in good hands because there's a lot of work behind that, isn't there? It sure is, and it is in good hands because you are there at Kings Park. We're so proud of you, Sue. Thanks so much for joining Thank us you. this morning. I, I'm really looking Trevor. forward to catching up on a regular basis and hearing about all these new plants as they come through. I look forward to it very much. Thank you. You take care and congratulations on 20 years. Thank you. Thank you. That's what an impressive, what an impressive plant this is. This is this beautiful. Now, look, it's not the best time of the year, I would say, for the flowers. Um, As you get into spring, those flowers are a lot bigger and uh, probably even a lot bluer. But you can see the label there. This is a brand new kangaroo paw and... um, yeah, you know, Celebrations Masquerade. It is going to be the hottest ticket in gardens come springtime and uh, this might be your chance to get in early. So well worthwhile keeping your eye out for that one. And what a what a great, um, what a great talent Sue McDougall is. It's lovely to see her um, with such a great opportunity to, to help the team at Kings Park take everything to the next level. Now, um, Belinda is asking, is there a pre-order for the Blue Masquerade? And um, I can see this selling out fast. I can see it selling out fast too, Belinda. Um, My recommendation is that you do head into your local garden centre. I'm not sure where you're located, but um, the best thing to do is talk to the garden centre, whether it be a Bunnings store or whether it be an independent garden centre. I would say, look, there's a brand new kangaroo paw coming out. It's being released on the 1st of March. I want one of them. So um, that's what I would be doing for sure. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Okay, let's keep going on because the questions are flowing in thick and fast. Now, please remember to tell us where you're from. If you like what we're doing on the show, hit like. It really does make a big difference to our audiences, you're sharing it with your friends and it means that we can all participate. This is one big community and it's great to be able to help everybody. Um, Naomi, you didn't tell me where you're from, you've attached a photograph. I'm wondering if um, if you could tell me what's causing this problem with regards to new growth. And it's a citrus that you've got here and it's all twisted and contorted. And the answer to that in simple terms is that you have got something called citrus leaf miner. That's a um, 
it's a it's a moth that lays its eggs in newly developing foliage and the larvae of that eats into the foliage causing it to twist and gnarl and um, that's what you're seeing in the photographs that we've got there. It is twisted and gnarled and it's struggling and the solution is this moth is active on dusk, so morning and night. On cooler days, like we're pretty much having everywhere except for Adelaide, I think it's just a bit hot in Adelaide at the moment, but um, as long as the temperatures are sort of ideally below 30, apply a horticultural oil over the foliage about four o'clock in the afternoon. The moss will come in. Uh, one is the, the, the oil will sort of smother out any existing eggs and um, should stop the spread. More importantly, what will happen is that you'll um, stop, the moth won't come in and land and lay any more eggs. So you may need to do this two or three times over a three or four week period, but you should break the cycle and that would reduce the damage being done. Right now, you will see citrus start to push foliage through. You should be feeding them, give them a bit of a feed, support it, um, and with any damaged foliage uh, caused by this, the citrus leaf miner, um, best thing to do is to get the secateurs out and give it a light prune, encourage some more growth. Hopefully that helps, Naomi. Okay, um, Viesna, um, you're in WA, bought 10 lily pilly backyard blitz, bliss, not ready to plant yet as the garden bed's not prepared it's and it's the middle of summer and it is crazy time to be planting at the moment unless you've got something that loves the heat petunias vincas those sorts of things no problems everything else be very careful they're sitting in their pots in my backyard in direct sun i water them once every evening but the leaves are dying going brown how do i save them get some Get some sea salt, all right? Soak them over the foliage with sea salt. It does two things. One is it builds up a tolerance to stress, to heat stress. Two is it helps recovery from it. But what you are seeing is these plants are drying out. Best time to actually water them is in the morning, not in the evening. There's two reasons for that. If you water in the evening, there's water on the foliage, and there's any sort of fungal or bacterial spores, they tend to do more damage at night and spread and cause damage to leaves. That's not what's going on here though. It is actually that they're dying because they, they're drying out. So what you need to do, um, you could put a wetting agent in there, make sure the water's getting into those pots, but water them in the morning because at night the plants don't take up a lot of water, but during the day they require a lot. So if you're watering in the morning, there'll still be water sitting in that pot they'll be able to absorb. Hopefully that helps you with that problem. Jenny, you're in the southeast of Victoria got a Daphne potted into a ceramic glaze pot. It was doing well over the last two weeks, but its leaves have begun to droop and the leaves are a paler green. Have I overwatered? Believe it or not, you probably have. Um, that sounds to me like maybe the water is not flowing through the base of the pot properly. You might need to check this, Jenny. Um, when you water, you should see that same amount of water flowing at the bottom. Now, a simple way to control it is to lift the pot up off the ground. You can get these little spaces, so little pot feet and you stick the pot on top, <clears throat> that should help a lot. I hope that that um, assists. Um, there's really not a lot more you can do just at the moment. You do want to back off the water and you should see the plant start to recover. The classic um, signs of overwatering is leaves drooping, not the whole stems drooping, and the leaves going a light green yellow sort of colour. So. I reckon that's what the problem is. Shane is in New South Wales in the Blue Mountains. Hi, Shane. He says, uh, hi, everyone. The pre-existing garden beds in my new home are built using treated pine. That's the copper chrome arsenate. Should I line with plastic? And what would be the best type of plastic, please? 
Well, it depends on what you've got in those garden beds. Now, if the raised garden beds are for edibles, um, you would have to line them with plastic. You don't want that getting into the soil because it's going to go into the plants and it's going to go into the food that you're eating. And those, those three things are not three, three things that you want in your diet in any large volumes. Um, what I would suggest you do is, is take a look and um, if, if it is for ornamentals, it's really not a problem because you're not consuming it. And uh, there's not enough um, copper chrome arsenic in that um, pine that it's going to cause a problem. But you're trying to grow edibles, big issue. Don't eat anything that's growing in those beds. Definitely lining the plastic garden beds, probably not you with, with plastic, I should say, probably not using them to grow edibles would be my recommendation. Rodney's in southeast Queensland. It's great. We're going all over the country. Need to go to an island. We haven't done that for a while. Let's see where we can go next. Rodney's in southeast Queensland. Sorry, I didn't catch the name of the armyworms. The question was, do I have lawn armyworms that are destroying mum's lawn? Well, Rodney, the question is for that, um, is the, sorry, the solution for that is to use, this. actually a couple of things out there. Confidor is one. Um, really, really good and very effective. Um, and I, I would suggest actually probably that that's the one that you would you would use. You've got you've got a couple of options out there, but um, what you've got to do, and this is why I'm sort of thinking it through, is I think from Yates you can get a, a um, actually it's not comfortable. You can't get anymore. I don't think. Thinking about it, um, the only one that's out there is. Um, is Baythroid, sorry, skip my mind for a second there, Baythroid, B-A-Y-T-H-R-I-O-D. It is a very effective control of lawn armyworm, but you do have to soak the ground. Um, and I'm sure it comes in a hose-on uh, that should help. So hopefully that helps. Rodney in southeast Queensland. Speaking of islands, Jenny is is on Lamb Island, which is near Stradbroke Island. Okay, I haven't been there. Um, and I hadn't heard about it until you just brought it up. Jenny, it's lovely to have you with us. Um, I'm wondering if orchid trees need some special fertiliser. They're getting brown ends on the leaves. Okay. So orchid orchid trees are um, bohinias. Bohinias have a, a bit of a habit in drier conditions. They like it quite humid. But if, it, if you get a bit of a dry patch, you can get a burning on the outside edge of the leaves. It's not an awful lot you can do about it. There's a couple of varieties that are a lot probably worse than others. The Hong Kong orchid tree is probably the best of all those varieties. The white um, elber is probably the worst uh, as far as getting the burns. But, um, yeah, uh, there's not a lot of solutions you can do. Again, soaking the ground with sea salt will help a little bit because it's about um, sort of, I suppose, heat stress. Dan um, is from Sydney's eastern suburbs. Thanks, Dan. Really good that you're being specific. And you've come to us via YouTube, which is great. I've got a few dwarf apple tree varieties in pots, leprechaun, granny smith, pinkabelle. I've got them all in my garden too. What is the best soil types for these? A more aerated soil or should it be heavier? Look, apples do pretty well in quite heavy loams, to be quite honest. Um, but it's always good to get air into soil. So if you're thinking about transferring from pots into the ground, what I would do is I'd dig the hole um, and I'd dig the hole three times bigger than the size of the root ball that's going to go into it. I then fill that with a with a really good planting mix, so great garden compost at worst. And in that, I would be applying some gypsum, about a kilo per per hole. Now, gypsum's going to break up any of the heavier clay or or um, compacted soil below. 
um, and it will improve drainage. It also the calcium is really good for uh, for um, apple trees in particular. So um, the answer is it's all in the preparation. A more aerated soil is better for most plants. It should work. Now remember, two videos will be selected each week to be played on the Garden Gurus Live, and I'll answer your questions right here for you. We'd love to see what your garden looks like and what the problem is that's going on in your locations. Just a couple of things on the on the videos. Um, when you send them in, they're only going to be selected if you've stated your name, location, and the question, and they must be submitted through our Facebook page. You only need your phone. So you can you turn your, your, your phone sideways and get, get a friend to video you asking the question. That's all you're going to need to do. It's a very simple thing. Gives us a great chance to have a look at your garden and also the problem along the way. So make sure you submit those. We've been getting so many garden questions about lawns. It's out of control at the moment, um, the problems that are going on. And I thought that it might be a good time to start talking about maybe the better solution when it comes to um, lawns that are drying and getting really big problems. It's an indication that there's not enough organic matter in around the roots. Now, you don't want it in around the foliage. That's called thatch. But in around the roots, you want organic matter because it holds nutrient and moisture for longer in around the lawn's roots. And there's a way you can actually build that up. And it's a product called uh, Scott's Lawn Builder plus Organics. Now, it's a lawn food and soil improver. It's a really impressive product. It's got a great combination of organics in it. So manures, uh, seaweed, fish extracts, and biostimulants, really important at the moment. Um, the reason you want biostimulants in there is they stimulate root recovery from, from damage and shock and, and I suppose just invigorates roots in lawns anyway, just making sure that they're, they're strong and healthy. So those people, for example, that have been hit by that lawn armyworm, then this is the stuff you want to see. And you can see in the image here, as it's spreading it out around the, the garden, it is an organic. So once it hits the lawn, water it in, wash it into the, the topsoil, and it's going to encourage stronger root growth. It's going to improve um, the moisture holding capacity. It's child and pet friendly. It's got all of these great slow release nutrients, which means that you're not wasting any of it. And it's got a painted and time release technology that delivers those nutrients over a three month period. Now, why is that important? Because plants and lawns are like us. They need small amounts of energy on a regular basis. That's why we eat three times a day and lawns are the same. You don't need to throw a huge amount down and get a lot of growth in a short period of time. You better to deliver small amounts on a regular basis. And that's what this controlled release technology does. So this product, Scott's Lawn Builder, plus organics, lawn food and soil improver. It's, it's technology is just unbelievable. And the science that goes into a bag of lawn fertilizer these days is unbelievable. The investment is incredible. And of course, the thing with Lawn Builder and, and the Scots Group is that most of their products come from um, the supplying the professional industry, so green keepers and, and uh, turf professional turf maintainers. Why is that important? Because we are able to, as home gardeners, get that technology, use it, and make being successful in our garden so much easier. So really, really important thing. If your lawn's looking tired, upset, not doing too well at the moment, that's a product you should use for sure. Now, we've been talking about lawns a fair bit, but one of the one of the plants, I suppose, that I've 
really enjoyed and, and just love growing at home. And they've had a struggle over here in the West, but I know that even though they've had a bit of a hit, they're going to get stronger and healthier. And next spring, late spring, early summer, they're going to get better again and stronger and healthier and produce bigger displays. And that's hydrangeas. I had some beautiful hydrangeas in flower. And I love the work that's being done with regards to the breeding. So I thought I'd ask David Van Berkel, my good mate from Garden Express, a little bit about hydrangeas because you'd know them better than most, David. Morning, Trevor. How are you going? Good, mate. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us again on the show. Tell us no. about these hydrangeas that you guys are doing at the moment. Sorry, say that again. Tell us about the hydrangeas that you're you're releasing at the moment. Uh, these these are terrific, Trevor. These are a couple of award winners. Uh, we've got Sunday Frey and Diamond Rouge that are coming in uh, this week. So these have been introduced by uh, Plants Management Australia. They're part mm -hmm. of a group called the Proven Winners, uh, mm -hmm. which introduce some of the newest and best plants around the world test them out, make sure they're good for home gardeners and, and then bring them to the market. And, uh, and these two have won uh, silver awards at Plantarium, which is a, a major um, European uh, introduction of plants. So um, medal winners, beautiful, beautiful shrubs. Wow. Plantarium is the place where breeders go to to show off um, what is often decades of breeding work um, and, and release brand new plants. And of course, what happens from there is a lot of the growers go there and they'll get the tissue culture, bring it back to Australia, goes through quarantine and they start growing here. That's obviously all the work that the guys at PMA do um, and Proven Winners is the marketing arm of, of, uh, of many very, very good garden releases over the years. But you've got your hands on these guys, um, uh, these two unique ones. Tell me, when it comes to hydrangeas, these are quite different in that they produce really large flower heads. But a lot of people think, oh, you know, once the flower's finished, it's all over. But these have longevity to them, don't they? Yeah, they're much longer flowering than, than the regular hydrangeas, Trev, and they can tolerate a little bit more warmth as well. They've got a smaller leaf on them, which just gives them uh, a little bit of, a, of a, a longer season, more tolerance to both warm and cold. Um, mm -hmm. They're still a hydrangea after all, so we do need to protect them from, you know, that really hot afternoon sun. But the Sunday Fray has like a buddlier-shaped, elongated flower head, yeah. obviously much bigger, but just exquisite. It's more, the, it's more like the, the oak leaf flower, uh, the oak leaf hydrangea with the longer, um, what do they call them, pentacles, so the longer flowers, right, upright. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah, just beautiful. And so many of them. Like you can hardly see the foliage underneath this sort of massive bush of, and they grow to about 1.2 metres. So it really is just this, you know, mop of beautiful, beautiful blooms. And with the, with the Sunday Fray, it's um, interesting is that it starts out, it's got a beautiful, like a pure creamy white flower head. But then as it ages, it gets these lovely soft, um, pink shades eventually ending up in the autumn. So this is the, the longevity of the flower being a true pink, right? Yeah, exactly. And the, uh, the diamond rouge also starts out quite, quite white, gets into some pinks a little bit earlier, uh, and then into autumn it, it becomes one of the reddest hydrangeas that, uh, that's been developed. So um, 
it's really interesting, isn't it, how it's, uh, you know, you expect that from autumn leaves to go green and then into that full colour. Uh, these hydrangeas are doing the same type of thing, but flowering right up until the start of winter. Okay, we always think of um, Garden Express as you know, probably the best value you're going to get when it comes to, um, you know, getting plants. And the best thing of all, of course, is they're delivered direct to your door. But have you got an offer on these guys? What do they cost? Uh, these two are, are new introductions there, Trevor. So they're forty-two ninety for each plant in a two hundred yep. pot. So we're shipping quite a big plant. I've got a specimen here of uh, of what oh, we're shipping yeah. with those first blooms on it already. Yeah, so, you know that's a, it's a it's a lot later lot later flower as well, David. I mean that's the that's the thing is to some extent by adding these ones in, you're extending your whole hydrangea flowering season because. A lot of the early early flowering hydrangeas, sort of that November, December, maybe January, but this is really coming into the latter part of the year, isn't it? Coming into their best bloom, sort of, you yeah. know, towards the uh, the mid and, and latter part of summer, of course. Um, so yeah, as all of my hydrangeas at home have uh, have been up, it suffered a little bit of burn with the sun, of course, it's been so hot, and yep. um, but but looking wonderful. So yeah, David. We've got, we've got people asking us uh, to get you to show that flower again. How about leaning it in towards the camera a little bit? Because uh, it really does demonstrate the size of the flower is enormous, actually, for a hydrangea. And then the foliage being smaller, and this, this isn't our standard typical um, hydrangeas that we're generally used to, the macrophylla. This is another another species, isn't it? Yes, it is, Trev. Sorry, I just... Uh... Just lost something there. Yeah, it is. It's the paniculata type of, uh, or, you know, a derivative of the paniculata series of yep. hydrangeas. So, yeah, absolutely beautiful. I was just trying to get that little, this is the red that you end up with. Yeah. You know, beautiful. Stark white. Yeah. That's so, a beautiful, beautiful creamy white too. Mm. So plant gets to about 1.2 metres. They're 40, how much were they? 40? 40, 42.90 each, Trevor. That's great value for a brand new release, so, something so special. And if everybody's been in love with um, hydrangeas in the past. Now is the time to um, to obviously be getting these in because these are going to extend your hydrangea flowering season if you've only ever had those traditional, I suppose, um, macrophylla types. Mate, um, Garden Express, they jump online, they place their order on your website, you deliver direct to their door. All around Australia, yep. So yep. Uh, shipping fairly quickly with these products. We've got uh, obviously the catalogue available now with the spring bulbs. Uh, yep. Those taking a little bit of time to uh, to come through from our growers and uh, and our own field. But um, the hydrangeas are prime and ready to uh, to be sent out. Right, and they're not going to last very long. Have you got much stock? Uh, we've got a little bit of stock, Trevor. One of the beauty of these new releases is um, you know we're able to to get some of this stock online. And uh, but they don't last that long, so you do have no. to get it. I think um, one of the one of the big complaints we had last year, and, and this is going to be your challenge, I think, David. Uh, we'll throw it at you: is that there are so many people that tune into this, and some people are watching it live, and some people are watching it a little bit later on, um, and they want to get their hands on it. And you've already sold out. So I suppose the first lesson for everybody tuning in is get in early, um, the first in, first serve basis, and two. David, you need to get more stock. Oh, look, we're trying, mate, we're trying. But uh, as you said about the development of plants, and it takes so many years, there's only so much cutting stock that we can get. And, yep. uh, you know, and then those plants have to be shared around the country. So, yeah, we get as many as we can. Uh, but, of course, the great work that you do, 
telling everybody about these things, of course they're going to be gone, mate. <laughs> Great work, mate. Thanks so much for joining us again today. Great plant, really cool. I'll be getting my orders in straight after the show. I'm going to wait to plant some until next year, mate, to make sure our customers get it first. Good man. All right. Thanks, David. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers, buddy. Uh, I'll tell you what. One is great family business. Um, they really are wonderful. They provide that family service when you're, you know, even though it's online, if there's anything that you've ever got a problem with, um, these guys look after you and make sure things are, are right. And, of course, best thing at all of all in this world that we live in currently is that um, you, can, you don't have to go out. You can actually shop from your armchair, place your order online, and David Rowan and all the team there at um, Garden Express will deliver direct to your doorstep. So don't miss out on that one. They are magnificent hydrangeas. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. All right, let's keep getting into questions. Remember, folks, tell us where you're from. It does make a big difference. And I reckon this is a classic. Jody, we're not sure where you're from, but you've got a tomato plant and the fruit's going black. And I've read that it's calcium deficient. It's told to sprinkle dolomite on the soil as it can't dig it in. So I have other plants in the veggie patch also. Am I doing the right thing? You know what I do, Jody. You need to get into the root system. You need to sprinkle it on the top of the soils. Good dolomite, garden lime, um, gypsum, they're all good sources of calcium. The problem you've got is absolutely calcium. Tomatoes, when we're planting a crop, before we go putting tomatoes into the ground, we should be putting some garden lime into the ground. In fact, I've been doing some pH tests around my garden um, and I'm very conscious at the moment that I am deficient of um of calcium in my soil so i'll be putting a lot into my soils over the next 12 months and the reason is is calcium does a whole bunch of things it makes sure that most importantly that plants are strong and healthy and grow strong so um we are you know we really need to to make sure we're adding that into the soil and i've got robin telling me we're going to need to go through these questions quite quickly because we're running out of time she's very polite is the problem um Heather is in central Victoria. Hello, can I cut back my large lamandras? When should this be done? You definitely can, Heather. The best time of the year to cut back lamandras, though, is really in that sort of, I'm going to say May period of time. As we're going into cooler, wetter periods of time, it is so much better. Belinda is in Waikiki in WA. It's a coastal suburb just uh, down near Rockingham. Absolutely sensational part of the world. And um, it is really, really good. Uh, she's wondering what's going on with her grevillea. The leaves are yellowing uh, in the native garden. Now, that's highly likely your pH is out of whack. Um, it, the Rockingham area is very alkaline. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, there's probably not a lot you can do. Um, you can be adding things like um, sulfate of potash uh, to try and acidify the soil or iron sulfate to try and acidify the soil. Um, you'd need to dig it into the top 100 mils of the soil. You need to water it thoroughly. And all you're doing is slowly, hopefully, changing that chemical balance in the soil. It, it may be that um, it's lacking some nutrients. So an all-round fertiliser, a native specialised fertiliser, like Osmocote for natives, will do them the world of good. You would want to apply your, your iron sulphate or, or your 
um, your sulfate or potash about now. Um, probably pretty important to do it right now and, um, and water it well in. You want it to dissolve into the soil. Um, but um, you're probably going to need to do it once every three to four months. But maybe a pH test might be the first thing you want to start with, Belinda. See whether I'm right or not. Rena, we're not sure where you're from and it's where these things need to, um, we need to be a bit careful because I'm not sure where you're from. You said you've got green mould on your lemon tree. What do I do, please? Now, I'm not sure. There's a couple of different versions. You can actually get uh, blue mould on your lemons uh, sometimes. It is a, a uncommon thing, but it does occur, and it depends where you are, what your humidity is like. Um, green mould could be things like lichen growing on the trunk as well. That's why I need you to tell me what it is, uh, where you are from, I should say, and ideally send us a photograph. It does help an awful lot. Carol's in Perth and she wants to know if you can cut back lavender. Absolutely, you definitely can and should do. Wait until the end of April, Carol. Um, it'll be a lot better for them. At the moment, your lavender growth should be quite thin and it'll do them the world of good to give them a trim back about April. It gives them a, a really nice bushy growth going into May, June, July when they set their flowers. August, they should be spectacular and they should go all the way through to the end of October, even mid to late November with beautiful flowering, at which point you might want to go through and just give a little bit of a tip prune to the flowers. Deborah is in Brisbane. Uh, why don't all roses have rose hips? Well, most roses have rose hips. I'm trying to think of some that don't. The reason they wouldn't do is they're not getting enough bee activity, so they're not setting um, setting fruit. But most roses are actually self-fertile. So I suspect that it's probably hot, dry, or hot, humid weather, I should say, Deborah that um, you're seeing them uh, produce a flower and before the flower is fully developed, um, it's finishing and, and falling off. And that's a, quite a common thing in, in high humidity with roses. Greg's in Parkerville, that's in Western Australia as well. We've got a lot of people from WA participating today, which is great. It's lovely to have people from my home state uh, participating, but uh, we want you joining us from all over the country. So make sure you, uh, you keep sharing your, uh, your tips, ideas and asking questions. Greg in Parkerville wants to know the best fertiliser for Hoyas and the best way for repotting is ours has well outgrown the pot. Uh, is it best to wait for the cooler weather? Absolutely it is, Greg. Uh, controlled release fertiliser, so Osmocote. Um, look, to be quite honest, you could actually use Osmocote for um, flowering plants. So have a look at the, I quite, can't quite think of exactly what the correct uh, terminology is, but it's probably for azaleas, camellias, um, and rhododendrons. So that's the best one for Hoyas because it's encouraging them to go into flower. Do it, I'm going to say, late April and you'll get great results. Uh, should help. And make sure you put it into really good quality potting mix. Very important. Glenn is on the Gold Coast. My button-up pumpkin is in a large pot and it's losing the female mini pumpkins before the flowers are large enough to open for hand pollination. Now, the pumpkin's in sunshine for about six hours a day on the Gold Coast. It's regularly fed started off with a rich compost um, potting mix. Any suggestions on how to get the minis to survive long enough for the flowers to open? Okay, so this is a heat issue. So uh, pumpkin flowers duration is generally driven by um, heat cold and it would appear like your temperatures are a little bit too warm so you're not getting a set. But as soon as you get cooler conditions, and this week at the moment it's looking like it's a bit cooler, um, you should see those flowers stay open a lot longer and you should see the pollination occur. You shouldn't need to hand pollinate. The bees should be doing the job for you naturally anyway. Hopefully that helps, Glenn. 
A um, little bit of sulphate of potash as far as fertiliser goes may also assist. Um, something worthwhile considering. Suzanne is in Melbourne. Hello, Suzanne. My potted gardenia keeps dropping the flower buds, doesn't flower. Again, sulphate of potash, Suzanne, that will help enormously with gardenias. Um, dropping those flower buds often indicates that there's there's actually a few little problems that you could have, but usually it's soil moisture levels. So mulching the soil around the base of your gardenia will keep the, the moisture in the soil longer and uh, it'll be less affected by temperature extremes and that's what's causing your gardenia to keep dropping the flower buds at the moment. It's really not sure whether it's about to go into a long dry period of time and if it was, it wouldn't produce any flowers, it would just hang on. Eurisha is in Victoria, so that's great. We're really doing well with Victoria today. I wanted to repot my peace lily. I was wondering if a self-watering pot is a good idea for indoors. I love self-watering pots, Eurisha. Uh, I think they are brilliant, and particularly for something, any plant that finishes with lily or comes from the liliaceous family will do exceptionally well in self-watering pots. They have a little base in them that holds moisture in it, and that base is vitally important when it comes to making sure that water is wicked back up into the soil above. And that means that the lily never sets back. So yes, repot it. Repot it into a really good quality potting mix. You, there's an Osmocote for indoor plants potting mix. Use that one for your peace lily because you don't want fungus gnats brooding and flying around inside the house. And that particular potting mix will guarantee you no fungus gnats. How good's that? Did you enjoy today's show? I hope you did. Um, please hit the like button for us. It just shares it all with your friends and it, uh, it gets the message out there, the work that we are doing. We're trying very hard to help you, know, you with your garden and, and hopefully your friends. This is a community. It's a unique opportunity for you to ask questions for me to answer them. Don't forget to send in your videos. We would love to see those. And for those people that want a packet, seed, packet of seeds today, um, Robin is going to contact you after the show to let you know. Uh, Robin and Jimmy have been producing today. Big thanks to them. They've done a great job. And uh, next Monday we'll be back for another great session of The Garden Gurus Live, 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9 a.m. over here in the West. Um, check your, your times uh, in other places because we do have other time zones going on around the country. And don't forget get those video submissions in. Really important. Two will be chosen for next week. Love to see your garden. Love you to show us around your backyard. Remember, you can always jump on our website. There's all sorts of information we have there, so it's a great resource for you. If you want to watch past episodes of The Garden Gurus, you can do it on our YouTube channel. It's a really good source of information too. And if you want to listen back to today's live stream, catch up on previous episodes, you can do it. Uh, by going to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Audible. They're all great platforms for you to listen back to this particular session. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's been great, you know, joining you this morning, this Monday. It's fantastic that we've got a bit of cooler weather. Might get me out in the garden a little bit more than those hot, dry days have done. Um, but we all do need to be out there making sure our plants are getting water at the moment. I hope today's session helped you with your backyard. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Happy gardening, everybody. <laughs>